sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Hey, I'm Nate Larkin, finally back home in uh, the thriving metropolis of Mount Pleasant, Tennessee. Uh, Allie and I have been on the road for a week. Uh, We took off a week ago today, I guess, to head down toward Atlanta to connect with some Samson guys who were uh, getting set to go to a story retreat. We met at a ball game. Uh, uh, Rob Jenoweth, you were there. Oh my gosh, that was hot. That was a hot summer, sweltery <laughs> Atlanta ball game. I'm telling you, they don't get hotter than that. It was hot as blazes. Allie and I got there late and left early. We only stayed for a couple of innings, but uh, the hot talk for us, the high point of the visit was the next night we went to where uh, you and uh, Mike Moore and Pablito and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're, uh, you know, you're staying and uh, you guys cooked dinner for us. Allie, Allie got to meet some uh, real life Samson guys. We had a blast that night. That was so much fun. Yeah. I, you know, it was one of those nights where, you know, you and Allie were lovely. You opened up your hearts. You told us more of your story, which was moving. Um, I tell you what, I was, I was impacted by what your wife had to share and then just mm-hmm. grateful to hear from her. But it came. It was like one of those evenings where you know dinner's winding down. It's we're ready to move on, right? You, everybody's kind of feeling that. And then all of a sudden, we talked about a a card game that you and Allie love. And I tell you, <laughs> both of both of your faces just lit up. You're like, oh, we another hour, card. Yeah, yeah, cards. We've got another hour. You came back in. You tossed the game. I have not laughed that hard in 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 months. And so, thank you for. Uh, the company, thank you for the story, um, and thank you for the fun. It was awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. We taught you nines. Uh, yeah, the card game that saved our marriage. Part of part, it was a big part of the story. Oh, that was fun. And uh, now you guys were on your way to Blue Ridge, where you you hooked up with Chris Inman for for a, one of those storied story retreats. Yeah, uh, that was a deep experience for you, from what I hear, Rob. Uh, yeah, I, Chris is on with us today. Chris, just huge blessing for your leadership, for your guidance, for your heart for men. Um, guys, I'll, I'll get us started. I I remember when my former spouse and I were trying to heal together. She she'd pull me aside every once in a while. And she'd say, "Well, your your healing journey, how's it going?" And I'd give her an update, and and she said, "How about your mom and dad?" What, what have you, what have you uh, figured out or what have you unpacked with your mom and dad? And I, I honestly, it was so scary to me to go back mm, into my yeah. story that I, I would look at her and I'd say, I, nothing there. Uh, I'm all good. I think mm-hmm. I'm good. You know, and I, part of it was denial that I, you know, that I, I had overcome quote unquote, overcome whatever happened to me in childhood. And, you know, I don't have any big T trauma guys. I have a lot of little T um, things that I didn't get, but I felt that all of my childhood made me stronger. I had convinced myself over 33 years that um, what I went through just made me a better leader. 
mm-hmm. made me a better father, made me a better husband. And, and my wife was so gracious. She would say, are you sure? And I would say, no. And the truth of the matter is, is number one, it took me too late. It took me too long to pick up that part of my recovery journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other truth is I was just too scared. Uh, I was yeah. too scared to go into the dark corners of my life and look at the, look at the pain, uh, the woundedness in the face and name it and to call it out and to be truthful about it and to grieve it. And I, it's not until I started doing story work a year ago, I've had a chance to do a couple sessions with Chris, with other guys from around the, the country um, that I can now say with wholeheartedness that if you want to level up your recovery journey, I mean, if you want to get to a place where you understand where I have now understood, how did I get here? Why did I get here? Um, and not, not within the mindset of having an excuse. Um, Cause this is not about, it's not about creating excuses. I was an adult. I made my own decisions, but but to really understand the heart of why I chose to protect myself the way that I did, mm-hmm. I will just say wholeheartedly the time, energy, and investment that I've made in story work. And I've now been in three sessions, one with an outside group at the Allender Center and two with, two with Chris, um, not only pays dividends in my own journey, but here's what I would describe. My last thought here, I want you guys to jump in. It, listening to everybody else's story expands my heart. Mm-hmm. Like the expansiveness of my heart to be part of and to, to be the, you know honored, to be able to honor other people's stories expands my heart and capacity for others. And in turn, it actually expands my heart and capacity to see and offer myself grace mm. yeah. in, in such a different way. And so there's so much that I could talk about. But those are the two big takeaways for me. I, I'm glad I'm leveling up in my recovery. I, I will tell you this. I wish I'd started sooner. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Yes, yeah, good. Good. Um, I, I, I uh, was not fortunate enough to go to Georgia and go to a baseball game or go to Chris's Blue Ridge retreat. Um, but uh, I can definitely feed into saying, especially in the community piece of sharing your story and how your wounds, more wounds are exposed and you're able to bring them in. And, and, and I always, I've always heard in the intentions I've done and other counseling, uh, you got to feel it to heal it. Mm. Um, and that's where I think the beauty of the story work comes in, where knowing your full story, um, bringing the things you thought you had to stuff or hide or not share, um, make some, you get, you're able to see them and they're not this, this, this giant, overwhelming piece but they're they're right in front of you and saying well that was that that did happen and understand it but knowing that that doesn't define who you are which is huge and uh, one quick example i did a intensive last uh spring and uh, one of the guys was sharing part of his story and in that uh he shared a part where uh this his family was on a vacation and they uh left uh left them at a rest stop uh they took off and he got left and Mm -hmm. it was a not just a five minute thing a 10 minute thing but it was a several hour piece where he was all alone and abandoned Mm -hmm. and to be honest with you there were three or four of the guys in the room were started to cry Mm -hmm. not because i mean yes yes because of his story but the empathy behind that was 
that spoke into their story. And immediately after that, every one of them had a piece of that exact same capacity happening. And you could see the freedom from every one of them, including me, when I could take that piece that I had forgotten about, that I had buried, that I had forgotten. I remember uh, a piece of my story where my mom and dad were fighting. They, you know, you know, people, I think, I think they, they bastardize the, the word or the feeling anger and, and they really don't really speak into what's wrong. It's rage. Mm-hmm. Um, anger to be angry is not bad, but to take it to rage is bad. And I think people all the time say, hey, I'm angry. Well, are you really angry? Or are you in a state of rage where you lose control? Mm-hmm. And my parents, when they would fight, they would lose control. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were on a family trip and my mom and dad were raging at each other. And they, and my mom and dad, the verbal abuse was more significant than anything. And my, my dad told my mom or back and forth. And my dad literally pushed my mom out of the car and my dad shut the door and me and my three sisters were in the back and took off. Mm. And I mean, it hit me and I was like, Holy cow, I had forgotten that. Mm. And it crushed me, but at the same time, I was able to let that go because I was able to speak it out loud, feel what had happened, the hurt, the the fear, the the anger, all those things that happened to me at that point and say, yes, that happened. Yes, that was wrong, but that doesn't have to define who I am. And just the release and the... Uh, cathartic pieces of just saying that truth out loud to a group of men, to any a group of people who are willing to accept you for who you are, to not judge you, and just to love on you and to yeah. affirm you, to let you know that they're there with you was beautiful. So I yeah. wanted to share that. That really brought that up, Rob. Thanks. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 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 And the, you know, um, I'm just sitting there thinking, um, uh, Justin, uh, if you don't know who, what Justin does professionally, he kicks people's asses for a living. Uh, and if you've never been on the receiving end of that on a phone call, just go talk to him. He'll, he'll give you a good workout. Um, not, he's not a bouncer. He's a, he's a fitness trainer. And I can remember my first story weekend a decade ago. And, uh, you know, I describe it as just an experience to uh, let out curses and cries. Just curses and mm-hmm. cries. I've never been safe to curse before. Raised in a religious, uh, rigid home, and I just you, you couldn't go there. And I left a bunch of profanity uh, in the circle, but I also cried in a way that was so healing and beautiful. And I think those experiences in my life have just been um, heart workouts. You know, getting the feelings out there, working out. You know, what are these things that have kept me so stuck and acting out in these weird ways? And I think Rob mentioned this. I've, I've kind of done the best I could with it. And there's nobody to blame. There's nobody to shame. But there is a story to tell about how I learned how to to ignore my feelings and act out in ways that uh, I struggle with even to this day. Um, and, you know, part of the beauty of it is um, I was just on the phone with another Samson brother literally right before um, we got on this conversation. And he, he reminded me, it's all your fault, Nate. It's all your fault. You wrote a book that has a story and a structure. Yeah. And that's what we do when we do these weekends. It's about story and it's about structure. And we're grateful for you to be able to um, 
model that. And, you know, like, uh, like Justin was talking about, somebody has to go first. Somebody mm-hmm. has to tell the story so I can have the memory and connect it to the emotion that I buried or I've forgotten or I've ignored or I've been so traumatized through that I didn't know what to do with. And here someone goes and they tell a story and I'm drawn in. I'm able to attune to them. And I think that's the word that I'm coming back to more and more. It's this mutual attunement in the group. Kurt Thompson Mm -hmm. talks about, I can dodge one person, but I can't dodge a group of people. Mm -hmm. You're in a space like that and and you're seeing all all those eyes and all those brains, seeing you, seeing them, seeing you, seeing them. My brain begins to heal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit more like the the Imago Day, the human being that God created me to be. And uh, I, I leave my worries behind and, and get an experience of grace, of truth, uh, of the presence of God. And I just um, I love the experience. I love it mostly because it mirrors what we have in Samson. It's so much easier to do story in Samson because we've already gotten 90% of the structure already built. It's already there. We do it every week and every meeting. We're telling a little bit of our story and our shares, right? Yeah. yeah and so yeah. we just take it a little bit further, invite a little more vulnerability, a lot of invite a little more particularity and it just flows. So, um, you know, I, I love that, that this journey that I've been on, I get to share with you guys and it gets to continue to help so many other men as well. It's just a blessing to my own heart. Well, we're going to we're going to be talking more about story, I'm sure, at the fall retreat in Eva, Tennessee, which and let me remind listeners again, is filling up very, very quickly. Hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that story work. And, and I love the phrase that Kurt Thompson uses when he says we all need to feel felt. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And there's another thing that struck me just this last week. Uh, I'm a fan of the great courses on Audible. I listen to, and, uh, do, you, do you do any of those, the great courses? No. Okay. Ah, ah, they're on all kinds. So it's, you know, it's top professors from top, top universities on just a huge range of subjects. And uh, they do 30-minute lectures. So, it's a, so I was listening to one by a guy named Dr. Mark Leary, I think was his name. It's about personality, and it was titled "Why You Are Who You Are." Hmm. So it covers, uh, you know, a lot of the. He talks about genetic influence and talks a lot about attachment, but then he hit this theme that I, I was out walking, actually listening to it on my earbuds, and he said something that I know to be true, but to hear it from a guy who's not coming, at least explicitly from a Christian perspective, uh, just to hear it. He was talking about personality traits Mm. that lead to emotional health. Mm. And he said of all the personality traits, uh, the capacities of of a personality, of all those that lead to emotional health, the one that is most crucial is the capacity for self-compassion. Yes. That's right. Yes. and he said, you know, the sad thing is that so many of us, while we might be kind toward others, are just relentless, mean, unforgiving, condemning toward ourselves. And, and that's what I was trained in. And I actually thought, you know, contrary to what Mike Malloy 
says, I really thought it was possible for me to uh, beat myself up into a better place. Right. Um, and I needed, I never could have made progress in recovery on my own. Even if somebody had told me the information and the steps to take, I was incapable of taking them on my own. I needed to feel felt and I needed to be in a safe environment where, (laughs) where I could actually tell the truth without shame, Mm -hmm. feel, uh, compassion and then Mm -hmm. allow myself to give that same compassion, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, inward. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it goes against, uh, for most, many of us, perhaps most of it, it goes against deep programming. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's all right to give everybody else a break, but you can't give yourself a break. Yes. And you are so in this, in that setting. And I know we all get a glimpse of this in the meeting rooms at Samson, but in that setting of story work, you are so naked. Yeah. You are so, so visible and you are so vulnerable. Yeah. And in a, in the right setting with the right coach, like a, like a coach like Chris, yeah. it can be so healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exactly what we got a chance to experience together this weekend. That's beautiful. Yeah, I just want well, to go back and stress that feeling piece, Nate, because I think so much of what we pursue in recovery is more information, is more information, is more information. And I, I can't get there with more information. Never have been able to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we have a great guest coming up on this episode of the Pyramid Podcast, a guy who's going to share his story. And he's going to be talking about, uh, yeah, exactly what we've been tracking with here. Uh, retracing our steps and finding out what desires we were pursuing, mm. what uh and, you know, the unhealthy ways, unintended ways in which those desires were met initially that led, mm-hmm. you know, to dark places. And then uh, how we can get those desires met through a relationship with God, with ourselves and with others, perhaps most crucially with others. Mm-hmm. Listeners, stay with us. You're going to love this conversation when we return on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Well, I'm, I'm joined in this conversation by Schwinn Daddy, Justin Schwind. Hey, hey, Justin, how are you? I'm good, Nate. I, I'm, oh. I'm, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you were instrumental in uh, making a connection with today's guest, uh, a guy who I imagine a fair number of our listeners have already heard of. I hope so, because he's making... He's making some noise out there and doing some great work. Ben Bennett from the Resolution Movement is joining us. Hi, Ben. Hey, Nate. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's, fine to, <laughs> it's, it's, it's great to finally connect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've kind of been in the same space for a good long while, and uh, this is so good. I get to see your face. I'm picking up some tats there. Are you are you pretty well tatted over there? I'm, I'm checking. Oh, yeah. I, Look I at love that. Full sleeves almost. Let me adjust the camera. I, yeah, well, I do have full sleeves, actually. I lost count at 67 tattoos. 
Okay. All right. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I, I work with the uh, military, Ben, so I, I see quite a few tats around uh, my, my workplace every day, including uh, this sweet mustache going on. But that's not Air Force regulation, though. I'll let you know that much. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit a little bit longer. I'm getting ready for Movember. November. Mustache oh. Movember. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You're going to go full handlebar, or what are you going to do there? Well, technically, I think it will pass the handlebar test already. So, okay, there you go. It's a shame. This is just an audio podcast. Our listeners do not have the benefit of what Justin and I are seeing right now. Uh, so, uh, where where are you joining us from, by the way, Ben? I'm in uh, Dallas, Texas, aka the face of the sun in summer. <laughs> you know, I was just there two weeks ago. And you are right. It was hot as blazes. Man, oh, man. All right. Well, uh, Ben, you have uh, a recovery story, an addiction story, a recovery story, salvation story. Uh, I just want to cut you loose and give you a chance just to tell that story to our listeners. Yeah, well, for me, I I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and um, met Jesus at an early age. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I had this real understanding that God was real. I remember around the age of four, just this understanding. I got here somewhere. There's a God up there who created me. Um, He loves me. He wants a relationship with me. My wrongs, my sin separates me from him. Um, But God came to the earth in the form of Jesus, lived a perfect life for me, died on the cross, rose again. And so I could be forgiven. And I I remember at an early age, placing my faith in Jesus Christ and having this ongoing day-to-day relationship with God. I mean, it was the coolest thing at an early age. I'd be playing in my room and then Mm -hmm. try to give God one of my cars, my toy cars, and he wouldn't take it. (laughs) That was a little little confusing (laughs) to me, but it was every day, this relationship with God. And so that was beautiful at a young age. Um, But while that relationship was restored, other relationships were broken, particularly in in my family life. Um, Mm -hmm. My dad was in ministry, uh, but he was very angry, very quick to get angry, um, Mm -hmm. bullying, uh, abuse, things like that took place at a young age, and bullying by friends as well. And so early on, I had this sense of deep aloneness in the world. I felt like there was something wrong with me. Um, yeah. and, and it was kind of hard to sort out because I didn't know there was wrong things being communicated to me. I deeply believed that I was flawed, that I was the problem mm-hmm. in the world, in my family, in my friend group. And so there's this deep sense of shame, I would say, looking back, this deep desire yeah. to be loved, yeah. to be known to be safe, to be accepted. So as the years went by, I just developed survival techniques, I call them, to um, to cope with that, to make sense of the world. I started dealing with anxiety and depression. Um, I started dealing with obsessive compulsive disorder. I uh, got addicted to pornography when I was introduced to that, pornography, masturbation, food. I eventually gained over a hundred pounds because my eating was out of control. And with OCD specifically, a lot of what I was dealing with was related to um, 
my relationship with God and this deep fear of uh, what would happen when I die. Would God actually accept me? Was I truly saved or was I uh, self-deceived? And I started dealing with doubts. And every time I had a doubt about God's existence, an intrusive doubt with OCD, I thought that I had lost my salvation and that I had to pray to receive Christ again. And so upwards of 20 times a day for over 10 years, I was just living in this mental hell, this turmoil, this emotional turmoil, um, thinking that I was in and out of the kingdom of God. And each day was a a battle to get through. And um, I, I think that, and, and then I started dealing with suicidal thoughts and I, I mm. wished I had never been born. But for me, honestly, I I think that the reason I, I didn't end up dying by suicide was because um, I believe that I would go straight to hell for that. You know, there's this yeah, popular yeah. belief back in, in the 90s that was, and still today within the Christian world that um, for some reason, God can't forgive that. That if you, if you take your own life, that is outside the realms of his grace. Um, and so just dealing with all those things, uh, it, was, it was hard growing up. I was holding on to Jesus amidst it all. Um, but then I, when I was 18, my grandfather died by suicide. And oh. that was... That was horrific for me. I was angry at him. I was angry at God. And I said, you know what, God, I'm done. I'm, these doubts aren't going away. This pain isn't going away. And then this happened. I'm just done following you. And I started running from God mm-hmm. um, for about a, a year and a half. And nothing got better. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I got more and more angry, more addicted to food, more addicted to pornography. And eventually he just chased me down through his grace, uh, through there's a group of people at the college I went to who were radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with people. And for mm-hmm. one of the first times in life, I felt loved and accepted for who I was. I remember them just inviting me out to half-price burger nights. I remember them asking me deep and meaningful questions, caring about me, um, almost treating me like a celebrity, even though I had, you know, I wasn't a musician. I mean, I was a musician, but not a celebrity for like reasons people are celebrities today. It was just, they loved me. They accepted me. They wanted to be around me. And through a couple relationships, God eventually um, started working in my life, or he was always working in my life, but I started to notice mm-hmm. this desire to come back to, to him. And, um, through some conversations, through the love of the people, I, I rededicated my life to Christ, started running towards him rather than away from him. Yeah. And, um, my faith as an adult became more and more serious. However, these other struggles didn't go away. Oh, wait yeah. a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> You went back and you repented. You were in love with Jesus. So obviously um, the addictions disappeared, didn't they? (laughs) If only. If If only. only. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, If only they went away, which I thought they would. And for me, I thought thought that my mental health issues were purely biological, that I had got the shaft in life, basically, and that – 
I was just going to be on medication the rest of my life and just dealing with this stuff the rest of my life. I thought Mm -hmm. my sin struggles were purely due to my sin nature that I didn't love God enough, didn't love Jesus enough. Uh And um, so I was trying to go grow spiritually and I was sharing my faith and discipling younger believers and learning more and more about God, relearning who he actually is. But as these struggles didn't go away, it was deeply confusing to me. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I, uh, at the end, towards the end of college, I applied to work for this, this ministry that I was part of. And they told me that everything looked great on my application, except for, um, my struggle with pornography. And they wanted to see more victory in that area. But of course they didn't know really how to help me. Um, so they basically said, you know, if, if, a, if you come back in a couple of months and apply again, you'll probably be accepted if you haven't looked at porn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I was yeah, like, yeah. well, I got this in the bag, you know, I got this <laughs> in the bag. I put my willpower to the test, you know, yeah, right, yeah, I'll, I'll get accountability, better accountability than I've ever had before. I'll go uh-huh. to bed, bed early. I'll, I'll maybe even take the, the door off my room so that my roommates, you yeah. know, always know what I'm up to. And, um, it was so I, I went five months without looking at pornography. Um, and it was just putting my willpower to the test, relapsed again, and then found myself in a in um in a recovery group with a ministry called Pure Desire. Mm-hmm. I found myself in years of or about four years of that, <clears throat> years of therapy, uh, and finally connecting the dots as to why I was doing the things I didn't want to do. And um, that story I shared earlier about the coping mechanisms, the survival techniques, the shame, I didn't know that was the case until age 23, 24. Uh And so I tell that story looking back, here's what was actually going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, just started to find real freedom and Anxiety went down, depression went down, OCD went down. I stopped looking at pornography. Today, I've been free from porn for over nine years, wow. and uh, and masturbation too. And uh, God just began to heal me and give me, help me find what I was truly looking for. I wanted love. I wanted acceptance. I went to porn for that. I wanted nurture. Um, and then through people, through relationships, through mentors, through pastors, through male and female therapists, I started to experience the healing of my my wounds and to be loved, to be accepted. Um, and I, I would say I really relearned who the Father is. Um, yeah, Father God, and how much He delights in me and loves me, and and my view of myself began to shift and. There's a lot more to the story. Um, I've been still in therapy, 500 hours plus of therapy and years of recovery group meetings and and whatnot. But today, after you know, 11 years of all that, I, I get to, um, by God's grace, reach millions of people around the world, primarily on social media and um, books and U version Bible plans and all of these things to help people understand why they do the things they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And that by 
questioning their struggles rather than simply condemning their struggles. Um, they'll actually get a lot further and start to discover what they're truly longing for that can be found in God and other people. Wow. 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 I'm sure you must have picked up what Jay Stringer was putting down in his book, Unwanted, by saying, yes. you, know, that, you know, this can yes. be either that struggle can be a bridge to recovery rather than a barrier mm-hmm. to recovery. If we will have the courage to just open our eyes and look at it with, yep. you know, with grace and compassion and understanding. And I don't think any of us can do that outside of community. I don't think mm-hmm. any of us are strong enough to do that. alone. Right. So the, the vital role that loving community has played in your life and the way you champion that these days, what sticks out for you, uh, in Ben's story, Justin. Well, and I, I, I listened to his podcast and I think he's got great words in that. And I read his book. Um, you emphasize the piece of what wounds are and how wounds play such a huge role as the roots of your, your shame and, 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 and what drive you to these compulsive behaviors, which I think is anybody and everybody that has any type of addictive uh, personalities and addictions. Um, I would like you to go a little bit more into that and how that that focus had a huge change for you and working with others, how that focus has had such a huge change on them. Yeah, one of the greatest things I saw in my life and in the past 11 years being in, in this kind of ministry world is that um, the, the way I conceptualize it is basically in in three three things. It's, it's this framework I've kind of started to think through. Um, the first one is that we are created, we were created for the Garden of Eden, for good relationships with God, self, and others. And within Eden, we had all of our physical needs met, food, water, shelter, those kind of things. But we also had our emotional needs met. We were loved, we were, we would, or we would have been loved, seen, safe, right pursued, accepted, knowing what it meant to be uh, Genesis 127 made in the image of God, uh, knowing mm. what it would not mean to be alone. Genesis 2, 18, it's not good for man to be alone. Walking with God in the cool of the day. And we, we talk about how there's these seven longings of the heart that God wired within every human being. Things like the need to be accepted, to have our feelings affirmed, um, to be safe. And when those go unmet on this side of the Garden of Eden or are outright mm-hmm. rejected through abuse, through things, we develop wounds, emotional wounds that manifest yeah. through yeah. through lies. So the second part is those those core lies about self, like I'm not good enough, I'm worthless, I'm inadequate, or about God. Um, mm-hmm. God, God isn't good. You know, that's many people's question today in the apologetics realm is if God is good, why is there evil and suffering? And so the things we go through, we, we put those on God or other people. If people can't be trusted, they're not um, safe. They're just going to reject me. And we begin Mm -hmm. to live from those lies and believe that they're truth. Yes. And Proverbs 4.23, everything you do flows from your heart. So when these lies have been embedded in your heart, when your heart has been wounded, that is flowing out of it. You know, in the, in, as Christians in, in the church, I think we've done a good job of talking about Proverbs 4.23, everything you do from your heart, everything you do flows from your heart through the lens of 
original sin and a fallen nature, but we have not done a good job of saying, well, what about the things, what about how you've been sinned against? What about yes. it's the, how evil has attacked you in this world? Yes. And that flows into part three, these behaviors, these thoughts, these struggles. And something that we found is that in all of those struggles, we were actually looking for the things we were designed to have fulfilled in Eden. So me growing up, I pick up a pornography addiction and the specific things I'm looking at are to try and find the affirmation of my feelings, are to try and Mm -hmm. find safety, are to try and find acceptance. I pick up anxiety as a way to try and find safety, my brain getting hijacked and rewired to always be on alert so that I don't experience abuse again. I don't experience bullying or rejection. Right. So we, we say that these it's these unmet, and we've done quite a bit of work with Jay. He's Jay Stringer. He's become a good friend and spoke into some of the stuff we're doing. But we say these unmet seven longings will lead to unwanted behaviors, mm-hmm. unhealthy thoughts, mental health struggles, and conversely, um, met longings, these seven longings going met by God and others leads to healing and thriving. Yeah. And so just that three parts, basically the, the pain and the unmet longings leads to these lies, which leads to these thoughts, these struggles, these behaviors. And then on the other side, the converse uh, of met longings will lead to experiencing the truth, starting to believe it deep down and healthier behaviors of connection rather than unhealthy coping. Yeah. Yeah. I'm particularly fascinated by your mention of OCD. We don't often have guests talk about OCD and I really appreciate your vulnerability in saying that that has been uh, part of the struggle for you. So I'm wondering now you've seen a marked, uh, reduction in from what i gather in ocd right uh yes. as yeah in healing right mm-hmm. um so it's this ocd is kind of is this ritualized behavior that as i understand it part of it is uh it's uh it's a compulsive search for safety so i think i can find safety in routine in checking in uh right yeah so uh right okay mm-hmm. so it's anxiety based uh, it, it, it manifests in hypervigilance. It's absolutely miserable, isn't it, to be in the grips mm-hmm. of an OCD obsession? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's like being stuck in fight or flight um, mentally when your environment, it's like physically and there's no threat to you, but uh-huh. mentally there is this, you know, if you, it's like if you're walking down the street and some teenager with a new driver's license comes peeling around the corner and you got to jump out the way. And like, you don't even think you just jump out of the way and then you're flooded with cortisol and anxiety. Yeah. It's kind of like that, except there's no present danger. Yes. It's about yeah. some future fear of mm-hmm. somebody dying. Or for me, it's like something bad happening or dying and being rejected by God and just getting stuck there with immense fear and, and feeling like you can't get out of it. Yeah. 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 And being, and that, I, I see that that gets nurtured really in 
fear-based religion, right? We're going to try mm-hmm. to scare us into right behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you, uh, along with Josh Dell, you are co-founder of the Resolution Movement, uh, which, yes. uh, as I understand it, that's a, that's ministered primarily to college-age uh, guys, right? Guys and girls? Uh, so the Resolution Movement is pretty all-encompassing for okay. mo- for anybody that is dealing with some kind of hurt, some kind of struggle. Uh-huh. Um, however, we, we do put a big amount of focus, Josh and I, on uh, Gen Z, on teenagers today, yeah. um, trying to help them earlier in their, in their journeys, uh, not just find healing, but um, if they are struggling, like, but do some preventative things as well. Mm-hmm. Because the, it's really interesting, the, you know, rather than me, like waiting 15 years to get into recovery or therapy, helping people preventatively, for, for example, there's a guy, um, funny enough, his name is Nate and, um, Mm. he's, uh, let's see, 19 now, I believe, but two years ago in 2020, um, he was doing well or prior to the world shutting down in 2020. So he's from Mexico, grew up in a good Christian family, um, and was, I mean, had a pretty healthy life, all things Mm -hmm. considered. Um, And in 2020, when the world shut down, um, what happened was he felt alone, he felt isolated, he was experiencing a lack of safety in relationships, some manipulation or, or mm-hmm. hurtful words from um, some extended family members. And the big thing for him was he started to realize he found such an identity in serving in church and his yeah. performance for God uh-huh. and for other people. Yeah. And so that was taken away from him. He started between all, all the things going on, he started to feel miserable, basically a loss of his whole identity. He grew depressed and eventually he attempted suicide. Hmm. Uh, and his parents and pastor, who's a therapist, um, were able to right then come alongside him, help him, not condemn him. And he's doing so much better two years later. Uh, but during that time, he came across the resolution movement and one of our podcast episodes on healthy relationships. And he started to realize just what had happened, how he got to the place that he had gotten to, and then how to get out of it. And all these unmet longings he was experiencing, the lies, and then of course the, this unwanted struggle of depression and eventually suicide. Um, He, he got out through getting, out of some of these unhealthy relationships, getting into a safe environment, um, starting to challenge all these lies, relearning who God is and where his identity is really based, not on what he does, but on who he is and who God says Mm -hmm. he is. Yeah. And he went away to Bible college and started sharing his testimony and saw other people come forth and talk about how they were actually thinking of suicide. And he's gotten to help Mm -hmm. them out and share his story with them and get them con- connected to counselors and share our resources with them, like our, our free to thrive book and our podcasts and, and things like yeah. that. And, and so Nate is why we do what we do. Um, mm-hmm. 
there's an epidemic of suicide. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among individuals 18 to 35 in our country. And um, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, there is real, real help. There are real answers. But a lot of times we struggle to have access to what those answers are. Yeah. I, 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 I wanted you. to ask. Oh, go, go ahead, ahead, Justin. Jump in. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, the kind of piggyback, I, I looked at one of the highlights at, from your book, um, really piggybacking off what you guys are talking about, but something you said in the book, uh, your struggles are not random. Uh, they are signals that when answered can lead you towards thriving life. Um, mm. I think that that statement is said beautifully. Um, I don't, I, I would assume you came up with that. If not, you, you took it from somebody and you copyrighted it. But, uh, either way, I, I feel like that it's, it's the facts of really seeking out I, how I hear that is what are my desires, healthy, unhealthy, however I see it, do they, am I curious about those desires? When I really start to dive into that curiosity, those desires, my truth really comes out. So that's how I see it. And I wanted to hear more from you because it's your quote, not mine. Mm. Yes. Of course, that was informed by a lot of research Josh McDowell and I did. I mean, we spent about three years writing this book and then I drawn six years of my own counseling journey and uh, leading recovery and healing groups. And there's a lot of people we kind of met with along the way, like Dr. Henry Cloud, who was a big instrumental part of my journey and Josh's journey. Um, Jay Stringer, um, Dr. Ted Roberts of Pure Desire, um, some neuroscientists, just a lot that we took together to put together this this framework to try and communicate all these complex ideas in in simple ways. But um, that that statement is a Ben Bennett original. So, <laughs> but if, bingo. So copyrighted, if, right? Copyrighted. Yeah. Well, well, it is. It's, you know, copyrighted by Thomas Nelson there. So they own the rights, not me. <laughs> uh, but it, it, I think it is, it's the summary of what I hope that we can get as, as a church, as Christians, as non-Christians that, everything we think is a problem is not actually the problem. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Our problems can lead to the solutions we need. Mm-hmm. And, and they're a gift. They're a gift in disguise. I, I think I relate it to hunger. Like I love eating, you know, I have lost that hundred pounds that I gained. Praise God. Um, uh-huh. But, you know, I'll, I'll be passing Taco Bell and see the, the deals of like 199 for like everything on the menu. And I'm like, this is, this is unfair. But when it comes to food, <laughs> when it comes to food, God wired our bodies with, we get, when we're hungry, our stomach starts to growl or maybe our mouth starts to water. Like these things, that's a signal that you are hungry. Yeah. I think God even uses our problems, our sin struggles. Think about pain. Uh, mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis said pain is, God's megaphone to a deaf world. Like pain is a signal that something is not right. Hunger, you're supposed to eat. Tired, you need sleep. Why would it be anything different when it comes to the the, the worst struggles we have, the anxiety, the depression, the, the thoughts? Um, yeah. These things are signals of that we're longing for something. And um, there are 
we also say we say anxiety is a signal or anxiety is a messenger. You could apply that to any struggle. It's a messenger that something is missing in your heart, in your soul, in your life, in your relationships that God designed you to have fulfilled. Hmm. And so let's start questioning them rather than simply condemning them. Because um, God wants to, I mean, scripture is clear. Uh, I think of the psalm that says, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. God desires to meet our desires. Yeah. He des- desires to satisfy our hearts through him and through people. And he desires for us to thrive. There was a study done by by Harvard that's been going on for 80 plus years. And they were looking at what leads to the happiest and healthiest lives. And they found simply that good relationships are what ensure people to have the lowest amount of disease and the, mm-hmm. and the greatest satisfaction in life. It wasn't money. It wasn't success. It wasn't all these things. No, it's good, healthy relationships. And so thriving is having good, healthy relationships with God, with self, with others. Yeah. I've got to tell you, Ben, initially, initially I had uh, an ambivalent reaction to uh, the name of the organization, Resolution Movement. Hmm. Because the first association I made was, oh, I need to make a stronger resolution, a New Year's resolution to stop Hmm. doing what I'm doing. And, and, and I, you know, I know I do a lot of intake at Samson Society. I have the privilege of doing some newcomer meetings. And it's so common for guys when I ask them, why did you come? Well, I really think I, I came for accountability. I need more accountability. Right. Because, mm-hmm. but then I, I'm thinking more about, I think there's genius in the name resolution movement mm-hmm. because there's the other side of it. Uh, the problem is that our pain and our unwanted behavior is coming from unresolved conflict, right? Unresolved mm-hmm. problems. Uh, and there are things that need to be resolved. There mm-hmm. is there's healing that needs to be uh, 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 more healing than we're certainly aware of when we first step into this journey. Yes. Um, and when when we we did like all these online fishbowls trying to figure out a name and it was originally yeah. resolution. Um, oh. and, and so that's the, that's the heartbeat behind the resolution movement. Sometimes yeah. we call it the resolution movement um, because we want to re it's our, in our mission statement is we want to resolution people with biblically based research informed answers to their hurts and struggles. There's a oh, say that again. <laughs> <laughs> we want, we want to resolution people with biblically based research-informed answers to their hurts and struggles. Yeah. There's too much garbage out there. I waited I waded through so much garbage trying to get set free, so many unhelpful things. And so it's time for a resolution to resolution people, our communities, wow. our churches, uh, people online with, with what the Bible actually says and um, mm. about all of, all of these things. So. Yeah. So Ben, what does that look like on your website? You say the uh, resolution movement is the name of your website and it's the resolution piece. What do you offer? What is that deep dive a little bit to the website? So much of what we do is free and principle based. I mean, Josh McDowell and I are 
full-time missionaries who raise our own support. Some would call me a digital missionary. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I'm I'm on I've been on TikTok doing my my personal account for TikTok separate from Resolution Movement for 42 days and 25,000 people have prayed to receive Christ and millions of people have watched the videos and that's that's my heartbeat. Like you can do wow. so much online today. I think about the apostle Paul, what would he do with the internet? I'm trying to figure yeah. that out and I'm trying to do yeah, it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But so our heartbeat is to serve others and to resolution others. Um, so much so that we raise our own, raise our own support so that we're not dependent on book sales or those kind of things mm. yeah. and can get out to the masses. So that's really our heart of principle-based things rather than program-based things. So for example, when we came out with the book Free to Thrive, that's one of the few things we're selling. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's all principle-based. It gives yeah, people yeah. A, a framework. It's here are the seven longings. We hope you take these things and steal them and it changes the way you preach. <laughs> like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not about me. It's about we, um, as one of my, my, my friends says. I think that's so good. Uh, and so on the on the website, we've got a free email course that's principle-based, helping you understand why you do the things you don't want to do and how to heal and thrive. We've got podcast episodes. We've got YouTube videos. We've got um, downloadable guides and resources. We've got a six-week video series on there that helps you really dive in and explore these things. And honestly, the one of the biggest things we do is social media content on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and and TikTok taking, I mean, just simple thoughts, um, simple 60 second videos that will help people along their journey. Because as we know, like the healing journey is, is lifelong, but we just want to give people daily encouragement and hope to keep going and something they can think about. That is just absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful, and isn't it isn't it a privilege, Ben, um, to see how it was your brokenness that equipped you for this ministry? Mm-hmm. Come uh, on, <laughs> yep, yep. Still yeah. don't have a degree. Yeah, that's right. Have, yeah, <laughs> no, no theological degree, no counseling degree. I've yeah. just had experiences and great mentors, and and a good God who equips the saints for the work of ministry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So encouraging. Well, Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Listeners, uh, there will be hyperlinks in the show notes uh, so that you can take advantage of all of the materials uh, that uh, Ben has mentioned. Uh, Wow. Such an encouragement. Thanks, Ben. Uh, Listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Well, that's about it for this episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'll be back next week with my good running buddy, Aaron Porter. Boy, we've got a great lineup of wonderful guests coming down the pike. Uh, Until then, as always, we treasure hearing from you. 
you can uh, always reach us at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you are part of the Samson community, you can uh, hit us up on Slack or communicate you know, through that Samson Society network. Uh, we've got a great fall coming up. I've, I'm dying to share some information with you that is not final yet. But as soon as it is, uh, we've got some great news coming down the pike. All right. Until next time, uh, this is your pal, Nate Mark, signing off on the Pirate Monk Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.